State of the Industry Podcast. This episode is brought to you by KP Movement Education, your source for health and movement education and coaching. Whether you are a health or fitness professional, a fitness consumer, or perhaps a passive bystander, KP believes that everyone deserves the right to pain-free movement. That's why their memberships and services are designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to create a culture of movement for yourself and those around you. With two membership options, you'll find education surrounding developing at-home training programs for yourself or for others, mental health and exercise, lifestyle medicine, and much, much more. Check it out at kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. That's kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. Welcome back to the State of the Industry podcast. I am your host, Adam Youngsma. This week's episode, we have a special guest, Dr. Jim Laval. It's interesting, when you look at all of the accomplishments of Dr. Laval, you kind of have to wonder, where the heck do you start with an introduction? He has done just about everything. He is an internationally recognized clinical pharmacist, an author, a board-certified clinical nutritionist, and an expert and educator in integrative and precision nutrition. Now, Jim has served thousands of patients using his metabolic code for health through his integrative health practice, Laval Metabolics in Orange County, California. Now, his experience spans from super athlete to individuals struggling with chronic health complaints, organizations, and athletes from the Chicago Blackhawks, Anaheim Ducks, San Jose Sharks, Toronto Maple Leafs, Orlando Magic, Philadelphia Eagles, New England Patriots, Houston Astros, St. Louis Cardinals, as well as athletes from Olympians to collegiate basketball, baseball, and football, car racing, all searching out his expertise for optimizing metabolism and targeting real-world results. He was selected to be the Integrative Medicine Program Director for the NFL Hall of Fame Health and Performance Program in 2019, and he also educates and works with military special forces to optimize resiliency and metabolic reserves. Now, I mentioned that he is an author. He has authored over 16 ebooks and 20 books, and his most recent release, Your Blood Never Lies, is a bestseller. Within this conversation, we talk all about specific blood markers that can be used to track a client's progress and look for inflammatory responses that the body may be having to guide our practice, both rehabilitation and training. That's one heck of an introduction, so let's dive right in. Welcome, Jim, to the State of the Industry podcast. How are you? I'm doing good. Real good today. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, it's, uh, where are you? You're in Pittsburgh? I, I'm from Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, I am in Southern California. I'm in Mission oh. Bay, California right now. I, I, I sad to report that it's sunny and warm here. I get kind of bored with it, but <laughs> somebody's got to live here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only reason I guess Pittsburgh is because I saw the Steelers helmet in the background. So I was <laughs> like, he's either from Pittsburgh or he's a huge Steelers fan. Uh, so. right, once you're born there, man. 
it's hard getting away from it and you're yeah. loyal no matter what. So oh, yeah. you know, that's the one thing I like about uh, being a Steeler fan. Yeah. Well, I know all about loyalty because I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Oh, you're, <laughs> you almost and, have illness. I, can, can we medicate you a little? But uh, it gets better. I'm also a, a Miami Dolphins fan. <laughs> so like I am a glutton for punishment. The only thing worse oh. is my friend who's a Bills fan and a Leafs fan because right. they've had a bigger drought, but yeah. I think it might end. Yeah. Well, it's great to have you on. I've, I've uh, really looked forward to this podcast ever since we booked it back. I think it was in like late November, early December, we, we scheduled this. Right. And uh, because a lot of the topics that we're going to cover today, so your specialties in the field are things that I think a lot of personal trainers and strength coaches overlook a lot of the time, or they just don't understand enough about. And uh, so I think there's a, a lot of different directions that we can go with the conversation today. So I'm really looking forward to it. So let's get into the, the first kind of simple question for you. Our little warm up question is how did you get into looking at uh, blood chemistry, studying blood chemistry. I know you've written a whole bunch of different books about, you know, the metabolic code and blood never lies, those types of things. How did you get into this? Well, you know, I was an athlete. Uh, I actually got injured, couldn't, couldn't, uh, play football anymore. I went into bodybuilding actually and qualified for the U S nationals. I was passionate about training and fitness actually was a personal trainer before. I think there was a real personal trainer. Cause this was back in 1982, okay. 1981. Yeah. Uh, it's as old. Uh, <laughs> and so I always had like a personal interest in it, but I had some health challenges. I went to somebody that did this kind of work where they, you know, I like to, to call what I do precision healthcare, where we're dialing people in. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it fixed me. It changed my life at the age of 22. And so I, I started to dive into it. I was lucky that I went to a, a college of pharmacy and then taught at the college of pharmacy and medicine. So it was always important for me to understand well, what's going on in the blood. The big problem I had is why is everybody waiting until people have a disease? Mm -hmm. like, oh, your blood sugar is 126. Now you're diabetic. Why aren't we recognizing trend parameters in labs? And then when I started looking into it, uh, and and all my grad students that were were my you know they were my puppets, I guess you know like <laughs> grad students are like, hey man, you got to research this now. Yeah, uh, you know it it was important for me to establish that there's a lot of trends that are in our blood that could be pointing us in directions of where we're heading. And then I wore two hats, man. Over the years, I mean, I had the largest clinic doing this kind of work in the country where we worked on a bunch of sick people, but then I was working on athletes. And what I realized is the only difference between an athlete and a sick person and their chemistry a lot of times was the fact that athletes still look good. But <laughs> when they were breaking down, they were still having problems. You know, they still yeah. had IBS, they still had stress, they still didn't sleep good, they still developed food allergies. You know, they, they, they had very similar kind of issues, but it was, you know, we, all, we automatically assume when somebody looks good, oh, wow, they're in great health. Mm -hmm. And of course, now 35 years later or more, I guess I hate to date myself, but it's true. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's really important. I work with athletes or teams in all five major league sports uh, and and Olympians over the last you know 25, 30 years. I uh, am working now with the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Hall of Fame Performance Health Program. I'm the clinical director for that, where we're looking at retired athletes, but not just because they're athletes. 
but you know what? People after they retire, they got to reintegrate into their life and have to enjoy the way they live. So mm -hmm. that's how I got into it. Can't tell I'm passionate about it. I know. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I can't get enough of it. I mean, I just love this, this area of maximizing people's performance, whether they're training and on a field or whether they're just we're, we're wanting to maximize their performance for life. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, I think that leads well into the next question that I have in, you know, you've been doing this for a long time, looking at it from a very holistic, uh, like perspective, trying to get that 30,000 foot view to see from a preventative side, how we can look at these, find these before they actually become problems. Right. And I think that's a lot of what right. us as, uh, you know, me being in the fitness industry, a strength coach, uh, personal trainers, we're always looking at how can we prevent injury? How can we prevent people from having to go on medication or how can we get them off medication? Right. If they're maybe pre-diabetic or something like that. And, um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, try, and trying to take that approach, that preventative approach instead. So with your work in the time that you've been working since, you know, as you said, kind of hopping in around like 1982 or so um, into personal training, what is the, what are the biggest things that you've seen change with regards to uh, metabolic markers, blood markers, blood profiling to help us catch these issues these diseases before they actually occur well that's a great question man i'll tell you what i think first of all i remember i was, I was speaking at the nba summit about a year ago before you know the pandemic hit and i got up there's all these orthopods and everybody's talking about biomechanics and localized inflammation at the joint or at the tendon and that's what we're trying to correct and I got up, of course, and I was the first person asked to talk about biomarkers. You know, everything mm -hmm. else was all about orthopedics and strength and conditioning and rehab. And I said, look, there's no way to take biochemistry and biomechanics and separate them. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you have to understand is that as soon as somebody is operating in poor biomechanics, and I know because I've been one, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like when people are, and I've been around a lot of trainers. I mean, we had a, phys, a PT department at my institute in Ohio. We had personal training. I mean, I, I get it. But the reality is poor biomechanics leads to triggering inflammation. Once inflammation is triggered, you're creating biomarker changes in your body. Mm -hmm. When you train too often, you start to trigger metaflammation, metabolic inflammation. That's a term now in the clinical literature, metaflammation leading to inflammaging, inflammatory aging. And so when people, uh, for me, what I think is the most important uh, aspect of this is that we're finally recognizing it, that blood markers do matter in terms of how somebody's going to perform, how resilient they are. Are they beat down? Are they more prone for a cold or flu? You know, are they getting enough sleep? What's their mood like? I mean, because all these things form the ability of someone. And, you know, you know, the old story, right? It's, it's the old adage. It isn't how hard you train, it's how well you recover. Yeah. And if you're in a nutrition deficit and you're not well-trained, now you got a double-edged sword, right? You got poor biomechanics and you got, look, I, had, I remember I had a guy that was an NBA player. And uh, when I did his evaluation, younger guy, I said, well, what do you eat at dinner? Or what do you eat at bedtime? He goes, oh, well, I, you know, I have some gummy worms and maybe a piece <laughs> of red velvet cake. And, and then he was wondering why his belly was hurting. 
Yeah. You know, like, why is my belly hurt when I wake up? You know, and, and it's that kind of mentality that I think is finally shifting. It's creating the innovation. And now it's about, well, what markers really make a difference? So markers that relate to metabolic inflammation matter, markers that relate to energy efficiency matter, markers that relate uh, to um, detoxification, red blood cells. Are you anemic? Are you low in your electrolytes? There's there, there, there's, it's like anything, there, there's a host of things that when you start to look at it, you go, wow, I didn't realize it. Now there are some big ones and I know we'll get to that, but there's some big markers that everybody should be aware of. Yeah. So when you're looking at, um, these markers, can you actually just define a biomarker for us? Cause I know we mentioned the term, but just define what that specifically is. Sure. Sure. And, and look, what I think is important too is biomarkers can be, are you taking a blood pressure? Mm-hmm. Where's the resting heart rate at? So there's biometrics, right? Because biometrics is the third leg of that stool, biomechanics, biometrics, and biomarkers, right? And, and then how a person feels. So biomarkers are basically markers that you can find. They are chemical targets that your body's making either dysfunctionally or in an appropriate level or has a level that's appropriate or not that influences how your metabolism is going to work. Now, I want to define metabolism for you in a different way Mm -hmm. because I think it'll shape our discussion. Okay. Metabolism just isn't how many calories you burn. That I, I know that's the traditional uh definition of your metabolism is you know the rate of which you're burning calories. Um, but really, when you think of your metabolic profile, it's the sum total of all the biochemistry going on in your body right now. All the metabolic reactions going on in your body right now is creating where, how you feel right now, how you'll train right now, how you'll sleep right now, how resilient you are, and not just now, but where you're going to move in the future. Mm-hmm. Like, where are you heading towards? Because it isn't about where I am now. It's about where I'm heading. And so understanding what's disrupting someone's metabolism becomes critically important to shaping the type of program that they need to be on. Mm-hmm. And so a biomarker, it can be an electrolyte, it could be an enzyme, it could be a neurotransmitter, it could be an amino acid, uh, it, can, it can be a hormone, it could be a precursor to a hormone, So it could be any number of compounds that we look at to say, all right, this person's got a good chance of adequate bone density, short of doing a DEXA scan. Mm -hmm. Or, all right, this person's really freaked out and stressed out because, my God, look how high their cortisol is. Look how low their magnesium and potassium is. Their blood pressure is slightly elevated. Now, all of a sudden, I'm clustering these biomarkers. And that's Mm -hmm. the next concept of understanding is, I, I tend to look at biomarkers and when I write my algorithms that I've done, um, I cluster them. You tether them together. Yeah. So it's one thing, for example, if you have a 95 blood sugar in the US, a 95 is you know within reason, but it's it what it is, is it's a 60% risk of being diabetic in the next decade. Hmm. But if you have a 95 blood sugar and your kidney filtering is low and your blood pressure is slightly elevated, and you notice that you get tired after you eat or you get hangry if you go too long without eating. And, and you know, all of a sudden, I just put together five or six things that say, uh-oh, I'm not using glucose well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So that's kind of the piece that you got to understand in terms of biomarkers too. Yeah. It's not just the individual markers. It's the combination of the results that you're seeing from those biomarkers. Kind of like if you look at a knee, right? If everybody goes, oh, my knee hurts. And if they don't look at the hip and don't look at your ankle, you're like, uh, okay, it's, it's your knee, but not really. Yeah. Like it, classical physio. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right? right. Like looking at where's the pain. Okay. That's what I'm going to treat. Right. That's the problem, obviously. Yeah. Right. So before we get into talking about some of the blood markers that we should all know, I, I want to, before that, I want to actually touch on something you mentioned, the inability to separate biomechanics and those biomarkers, because I think that's a, it's a really interesting thing. Cause as trainers, as strength coaches, we often like it's drilled into us about biomechanics and you're always looking at the mechanics of the lift, the mechanics of the run, the cut, the, whatever the, the athlete or the client is doing. And I want to just help or have you, I guess, help the coaches, the trainers listening about how we can start thinking about the link between or the connection between those two. Sure. Well, let's give you a, a simple one. For example, if, if I am in a ground state of inflammation, metabolic inflammation, maybe my omega-3 fatty acids, I don't eat fish, I don't like fish, I don't take fish oil, I don't even like to see the word fish. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, hey, don't give anything around me that's an omega-3. Yeah. You're preset to have inflammatory signaling in your body. And that means if you do have an injury, and you and I know if, if you're a strength coach or a, a, a trainer and you're listening, you've had somebody that did not they did not repair, they did not recover nearly as quickly as you thought they would have, or mm -hmm. should have. Like you're looking at the person going, why aren't they getting over this? It's still inflamed. They still have pain. So if your body is preset with a low grade inflammatory metabolism, it's throwing out inflammatory cytokines, and then your biomechanics get tweaked due to an injury or you know training, something, uh, that predisposition can set it off. Mm -hmm. Likewise, you could have perfect chemistry, perfect chemistry, but you choose to train four hours a day, seven days a week, always at high intensity, never changing any kind of duration or periosity or undulation, nothing. I'm not going to change it. I'm just going to grind it. Mm -hmm. That act alone will influence your immune system and you will start to trigger inflammatory compounds and those inflammatory compounds start to affect your biochemistry. Now, all of a sudden, why am I gaining weight? Why is my body fat going up? Why am I losing lean mass? Why is my mood changing? But it, because it's your biomechanics and training methodology could be influencing how your chemistry works just like poor diet, over-exercise, you know, you know, really medications can do this. You mm -hmm. can be on a medication that depletes nutrients out of your body. I wrote four books on that. Yeah. Drug-induced nutrient depletion. Yeah. And so, I mean, you, you, so it's understanding that when somebody's standing in front of you, uh, how they're moving, how they're resting, where, what their, what, what their um, position capability is, influences your biochemistry and likewise your biochemistry can influence your connective tissue real simple what if you're low in magnesium 
Yeah. You're low on mag, you're going to be tight. You're low on mag, you're going to cramp more. That's why we give people bags of IVs. Yeah. But we don't tell them to take magnesium on a regular basis. We just wait until they need a bag of IVs. <laughs> I, I, I know it's kind of weird. Yeah. So in your experience, how many people, let's just, let's get away maybe from like just the general population, but how many people within fitness facilities? So people who actually aren't sedentary, who are training, working out, uh, are in your kind of experience, your estimation are overtraining or doing kind of, I wouldn't say more harm than good, but almost balancing out the harm with the good, right? Like they're, it's beneficial in that there are training, but they're doing too much. Wow. You're, you're hitting me. I'm going to be unpopular. You know, you realize you're asking me, you're putting me out here on a, on a corner. So I'm going to tell you, I think there's a lot of people that get overtrained because I think what happens is we end up trying to train the normal person as if they were an athlete. Mm. And, and because of that, um, I had to learn this. I mean, you know, I'm 60 now. And so, you know, this morning I took a walk yesterday. I ran the day before I did an assault bike, but I won't do a hard interval assault bike every day. Mm -hmm. I won't go and do interval sprints or do a three mile run every day because I know when I do, I get sore. But a lot of people, if they're under training tutelage, sometimes you get younger trainers and they're very enthusiastic, uh, which is not a problem, right? It's good. Yeah. But it's understanding that what really shapes the difference between an athlete and a person that's walking into a, a fitness facility, um, it's their nervous system. You know, there's plenty of strong muscle. There's plenty of muscly people that never make it to pro sports and are, or even collegiate sports because their nervous system can't handle the tension that's put on them. And they, and, and therefore they start to break down because your nervous system runs a bunch of stuff. So I think there's a lot of people that need better variety. I'm a big believer in activity. I, I love Kelly Starrett's, you know, sitting is the new smoking attitude. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm a, big believer in movement. I'm a big believer, obviously, in exercise as being an avid exerciser since the age of 14. Um, so it's a lot of years. Yeah. Uh, and But at the same time, uh, I'll give you a good example. When we worked with Lifetime Fitness, we did a program evaluating people. Uh, we did 240,000 people, hmm. looked wow. at their labs. Yeah. All right. So kind of a good population sample, right? Yeah. And what we found in general is that people were I would say malnourished and overtrained because you could see it in their stress hormone profile and their sodium level and their magnesium level and how they answered their questions. Like mm -hmm. they, there's a questionnaire we gave them too to see, you know, where's your attitude at, right? What's your quality of life? How do you feel? What do you feel? Yeah. So I think it's unfortunate that, you know, we're not understanding that, you know, the average person just needs to stay well and, and get well. And people want to get after it, get after it anyway. Right. I mean, yeah. I call it an illness. I have it. I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not like a pot call. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. I, I recognize that there's some of us, we just love training Yeah, <laughs> and that's okay. But for the average person, it's a little different. Yeah. And I think there's so many old school sayings like go hard, go home, right? Like beast mode, those types of things. And, and I think people take that as every single time you step into the gym, whether it's you training or you're training your client, their measure of the quality of the training program is how sore is that client afterwards, as opposed to looking at 
did I get the adaptation? Did I get that, you know, 1% better in that training session? And that isn't, that has nothing to do with the pain that you feel. And I don't think a lot of new trainers recognize that because like I had a, I worked with a brand new trainer and he was young. He was, I think 18. Right. And, uh, he, we were working together. We were chatting a little bit cause I did his certification for him. Like I, I did some of his certification and his mom actually emailed me concerned because he was spending three hours in the gym every single day. And right. So him and his mom came over to my place one day. Cause like we needed to have a meeting to talk about this and he sees nothing wrong with it. Like, this is what I need to do to get the gains. Like, if I don't work hard, if I don't put in the hours, I'm not going to get any better. And then his mom's like, that's way too much. He's like, he's way too focused on, I think she was more on the mental side of things. Like he's so yeah. concerned about how he looks right. that he's putting in all this time and it's taking away from other things. And I'm just sitting there like, he's not repairing, right? Like he's not, like he does not have any time to repair. There's no way. And this is like three hours on one or two body parts. This isn't like a full body workout where he's doing, you know, a couple exercises for each and it's a strength training session. So there's five minute breaks and be like nothing. Like he's not doing power. It's all hypertrophy based training. And I'm like the amount of metabolic stress in the body in that three hours. And then after like, there's like, you're not repairing. Right. So how can you, or how can either a trainer or the actual individual, what can they look for in themselves? And then we'll get into kind of the blood markers in a second, but what can they just look for in themselves that would tell them that maybe they need to either dial it back a little bit, either frequency intensity or the combination of the two in their training to enable them to get better results? Sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of different um, ways you can you can uh, go about this. I mean, you could you could track something as simple as body composition, uh, because a lot of times, you know, people train harder and harder, and yet their body composition is not getting better. Mm-hmm. And that's typically because you're creating too many stress hormones, and you're resisting adaptation to lean mass, and you're increasing fat mass. Uh, so things like, what's my mood like? So one of the biggest signs when people are training too hard is that they'll start to see their mood and their enthusiasm go flat. Hmm. Uh, and, and when you're 18 and you get the bug to train, that, that's probably not his problem. He's, he's over the top with his enthusiasm. Yeah. But how sore are you? You know, you know, when you have you know, DOMS, when you have you know, your, your muscle soreness that is coming on and you're not allowing for repair, you basically are setting up for injury. How's inflammation work? Inflammation gets turned on for you to turn it, to get rid of the, the tear down that occurred. Mm-hmm. And, but you're supposed to reset that inflammation completely so that mm-hmm. your body goes back to homeostasis before you train that part again. Mm-hmm. And when you don't do that, you set up metabolic inflammation. Yeah. And that, that we'll talk about the blood markers related to that. Are you having trouble sleeping? What's your sleep like? Is your sleep deep? Uh, it, you know, are you sleeping enough? Because uh, a lot of times when people are training like that, they find themselves, you know, amped up, not sleeping enough. Uh, the, the next thing would be is, well, what's your diet like? What are you craving? Because a lot of times when people overtrain and they're cranking out more stress hormones, you know, they want starch, they want, you know, they want salt, you know, they want carb, uh, they want to hit that dopamine. 
Yeah. And so if you notice, say I do great training all day, it's all awesome. Then I get home at night, man, I just can't stick to that one page diet that the trainer gave me that every trainer has been giving since the beginning of time. Yeah. You know, the one page chicken, rice, broccoli. <laughs> so, you know, so it's, yeah. uh, it makes me crazy, by the way. Uh, but, but the point being is um, you got to go by how you're feeling mm -hmm. and you have to use some sense of wisdom uh and and listen because a lot of times people don't listen it's once again when you're training if you're training three hours a day and you're not you, you you're not going to recover from that if you're getting paid like if you're a pro athlete and it's four hours a day in the you know in, in the facility that's one thing because you go home you got a masseuse you got a chef cooking for you you're in the hot tub you know, you, you, you get, you got all kinds of recovery cycle options to help you Yeah. But for the average person. That's not the issue. Yeah. And, and you've got in that situation, you've got a team of people looking at blood markers, looking at all this, making sure that you're not overtraining in that. Uh, and I know for like, even the talk that I had with Mike Potenza, who, you know, well, we were talking about that a lot as well as how do you manage that within season, the stress and not being able to sleep and all of those. So we, we chatted a little bit about that. So let's get into blood markers. Now, some of the, the key ones, cause you mentioned that there are some big ones that we should be aware of and perhaps even tracking in ourselves and, or the clients that we see or the athletes that we work with. So what are some of those key blood markers that everybody should know about? Yeah, this is great because I think whether you're an athlete, you're, you're, or you're training, you're, you're interested in your health, no matter who you are. Uh, you need to know your glucose and insulin. Hmm. You really need to know where's your blood sugar at because the bottom line is the most inflammatory event in your body. The number one inflammatory event in your body is postprandial, post-meal hyperglycemia. So if I'm, you know how people will say, hey, I don't have to worry about what I eat. I'm, I'm training two hours a day, right? You hear that all the time. Yeah. Well, I got a guy at 78 years old that comes to me now, and he he was kind of like that until he just had his quadruple bypass. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, he was lean. He had ran his whole life. He was fit. You know, he never washed what he ate. He ate a lot of sugar. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you don't realize that um, glucose, when your blood glucose levels, when they spike after you eat and drop that spike, that's what that's the number one cause of heart disease. Mm. high postprandial glucose what else does that do you store fat what else happens when your glucose is high you make more adrenaline and noradrenaline and that means your blood vessels get more stiff and your blood pressure goes up and your resting heart rate goes up so for me glucose is at the top of the heap because diabetes takes 10 to 13 years off a person's life mm -hmm. And I have a lot of trainers that have come to me when I was at Lifetime and did that Lifetime program. Yeah. I, I had 2,800 trainers that I was educating there, okay? Yeah. And many of them had blood sugars in the mid-90s hmm. because they didn't sleep enough. And so when you don't sleep, you make more cortisol in the morning and cortisol makes your blood sugar go up because it's, hmm. it's because cortisol is saying a white tiger's coming. You better have that glucose in your bloodstream. Yeah. So glucose in, is incredibly important as is insulin, because insulin's a very highly inflammatory compound. So if you're, you know, if you're eating a ton of carbs, sugar, you're going to make more insulin to try to get that glucose out of your bloodstream and you end up becoming insulin resistant. 
What's the down? So that's a big one. The other one that's really important, uh, you know, I mean, look, there's obvious things like vitamin D. People should have a blood value of vitamin D over 50. Don't, yeah. don't be satisfied with one that's at the bottom. Try to at least get mid-range. Obviously, all the pandemic stuff has shown the importance of vitamin D, but I've been talking about it. I've been measuring vitamin D for 20 years yeah. or more. I was like, oh, wow. Wow, vitamin D, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, uh, red blood cell magnesium for athletes, not not serum mag, red blood cell magnesium because it's more accurate for intracellular magnesium levels. I think it's incredibly important. Uh, there's plenty of data to show that functionally low magnesium levels uh, will lower athletic performance uh, anywhere up to 20% in terms of power output. Um, and so, I mean, a red blood cell mag, really important to look at, uh, and the value should be over 5.5. If you're, if you're, once again, when you measure red blood cell magnesium, it's 4.2 to 6.4. Well, if you're down around 4.3, that means you're at the bottom of the barrel. And if you, you know, do you want to perform with very little fuel in your tank? Because mm -hmm. when you train, your body will use tenfold more magnesium than at rest. Hmm. So it's important. Like these are these are very simple things to consider. Um, and it also drives what kind of nutrient, micronutrients do you recommend? Magnesium also happens to help with blood sugar regulation. Yeah. And the number one functional deficiency that is related to the development of diabetes and metabolic syndrome in individuals is low magnesium status. Hmm. And that's, that's National Institute of Health in the U.S. That's NIH studies yeah. across major populations. So that's big. The next one is iron, iron and ferritin. So I find out, so, you know, it was interesting. I did, I remember I did a basketball, college basketball team. Their performance was waning. They're, in, and they're from Florida. So they're always indoors. And he was saying, man, I can't figure out. They're all getting colds and flus. Why are they not recovering? Gee, this is incredible. What's happening? Well, it turns out 80% of them had low iron <laughs> and, and they obviously had low vitamin D, but their iron was low because they're running down and up and down a basketball court three hours a day. Yeah. So whenever you're training more than an hour a day, man or woman, woman, it gets amplified, right? If she's during, uh, um, you know, her years where she's, you know, has a menstrual cycle. So she's, yeah. you know, having a menstrual cycle and has a heavy bleed almost always they're low in iron because because a lot of those uh, women may not be eating much red meat. Some of them may be vegan, yeah. maybe doing a plant-based diet. Uh, and by, by default, your, your iron status gets compromised. And then ferritin is even important because that's how you store iron. Now, interestingly, if you're overtraining and you trigger metabolic inflammation, your body makes more of this compound called hepcidin and it turns off this compound known as ferroportin. And ferroportin is responsible for storage of iron or putting ferritin, getting it into your bone marrow, sending the signal for ferritin to your kidneys so you make erythropoietin, so you make new red blood cells. And so one of the hallmark traits of people that are overtrained and, uh, and under oxidative stress is that their iron status is good, but they have no ferritin. Hmm. And that, and when your ferritin's low, you'll get winded easy. You know, you'll be going up steps. You'll be like, "Wow, why is it hard to get up these steps?" Yeah. Uh, you'll 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 get palpitations, uh, even though your iron's adequate. 
So that's a biggie. Um, you know, and, and, and then I start to look at, well, what markers for inflammation are laying around? And there's some easy ones. C-reactive protein. The big mistake people make is they train the morning they go in to get their blood drawn. You don't, don't train the day, don't have a hard training session the day before you go do get a blood draw because it can influence your creatine kinase, which is, you know, showing you muscle breakdown. Yeah. Uh, and it can, it can influence things like C-reactive protein, which is a marker for inflammation. And, and, but you, I look at that homocysteine is an important marker because it looks at, you know, methylation and, you know, B vitamin adequacy. Uh, and, and so I look at that all the time. And then probably one of the most important ones I look at is just looking for things like B12 deficiency, mm-hmm. red cell width, um, mean platelet volume. Like they're finding out now that the higher your mean platelet volume, so the size of your platelet, the volume yeah. of your platelet, when it gets high, that's a marker for metabolic inflammation and overtraining. Hmm. And these are basic markers. Um, these are things that you can get from any lab test. Yeah. And uh, and these are just a few of the ones that are really, to me, very exciting. I mean, I mean, the other thing that happens when you overtrain, you start to make more LDL cholesterol. Hmm. So I hit so, a couple of points, right? Yeah, There's a couple a markers. And- and I want to, I'm going to, we're going to touch on a few of those specifically because I have some other kind of follow up questions about some of them. But, sure. and I'm not sure exactly how it is in the US compared to Canada, um, you know, with regards to getting all these blood markers. Cause I know a lot of what we get is free, but you have to ask and you have to pay for some of the extra markers that you want them to follow up on or find right Right. to get that report so is it as simple as just going in with kind of the markers that you want to see and asking hey these are the markers that i want to see um you know can i make sure that these are on the the output or the the um the report that i get yeah Yeah, i mean i i i think i mean i've worked up in canada and consulted for a decade so you know i'm pretty familiar with the canadian healthcare system and it represents its challenges Mm -hmm. but you've got anti-aging docs that are up there and and people that are into regenerative medicine that are up there that you know will order these types of labs and then many of the labs that i just discussed they're all available now you may have to twist your doc's arm a little bit like hey i'm training a lot I want to know if my iron store is good. I'm, I'm feeling a little sluggish, you know, uh, gee, I'm cramping. I'd like to know my electrolytes, mag, you know, red blood cell mag. Where's my red blood cell zinc at? Where's my red blood cell chromium at for my blood sugar? You know, what's my, you know, you know, what's my potassium like? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can make a list and you go in and you talk to your doc and hopefully you have a good relationship with your doc and you can say, Hey, I'm really interested in staying healthy. I'd like to get these extra markers to help me stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, in the U.S., it's a lot easier. You've got, you know, people can go into labs and self-pay and order, or they can order their own lab. Yeah. And just walk into a LabCorp draw station and get it done. So it's a little bit different. Yeah. But all the labs that I'm talking about with you are labs that any doctor from any lab they could get. Now, obviously, there's some cutting edge stuff that's out there that is like, you know, kits that you might do, mm-hmm. but these are, these are important um, biomarkers. If you're training, 
like everybody says, oh, your lipids don't matter. Well, yeah, they actually turns out they do because the more the more cholesterol you have, the more opportunity you have to oxidize it. Mm-hmm. And that's why pH is important. You know, I, I, I look at pH on people all the time because, you know, the lower the pH, the more you're oxidizing. It's very simple. So, yeah. so if you have lipids, you have oxidation, you create oxidized lipids, your plaque in your arteries, still the number one killer. Yeah. yeah. So, so how often would you recommend that somebody goes, gets a blood test to track these markers? Like how often should somebody be doing this? Is it monthly, yearly, twice a year? Question. Uh, you know, I, I think it depends how active and interested people are. I don't particularly like giving blood up unless I have to, <laughs> you know, I don't know. And I write about it all the time, but I probably average, uh, two tests, two global tests a year, every six months, especially like if you're in Canada and it's winter, I recommend you get one like in the winter and in the summer. So you understand your Delta for things like vitamin D Mm -hmm. because that's, it's a big change. I mean, I've done that with people where I I make sure that I'm looking at, you know, where they're at seasonally with uh, their nutrition. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, twice a year for a big marker. Now, if you're training, like in some cases when I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at say with Potenza, you know, when we, I do stuff with the sharks, I'm sure he probably mentioned yeah. it. Uh, you know, I like blood tests three times a year. I like mm. to see it before the season. I like to see it in the middle of the season. I like to see it at the end of the season. Yeah. So I can understand the impact of what a training season had in a, you know, in game season had on that individual. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, a couple of times a year, I mean, I'll do food allergy tests as well a couple of times a year uh, for me, just because I'm, I'm interested in minimizing any source of inflammatory chemistry that I can. Yeah, that's great. And so, as I mentioned, I want to get into just uh, I've got a couple follow up questions about few of the inflammatory markers or some sorry, some of the key blood markers that you were talking about. Sure. Uh, so one of them is just a question with regards to the uh, ferritin. And so if you do get a blood test done and you find out that your iron is high, but ferritin is low, what can we do to improve that so that we can actually start bringing in that iron and utilizing that properly? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, first of all, I think a lot of times the New Zealand gland liver, I mean, I've been using, everybody's going crazy about, oh, gland extracts. Sort of using gland extracts in 1983. I mean, you know, we, so I like like uh, freeze-dried lyophilized liver tissue because it has more ferritin in it. It has the B vitamins in it. It has the, the factors that help the liver with maintaining ferroportion, you can always take ferritin directly. But the important thing that you need to do is you need to, you have to look at where am I creating inflammatory chemistry? Are you gassy? Are you bloated? Uh, Are your joints aching? Um, Do you feel sluggish? Uh, Are you under a lot of stress? Are you undersleeping? You know, because in the end, that signal of metabolic inflammation is what's triggering that downregulation of ferritin. Mm-hmm. And now it's interesting in, in people with insulin resistance overproduce ferritin. So I have people come into me that have puny little ferritins, and then I got people that have really high ferritins. Yeah, and that and that's because they're 
that's a, they're different metabolic disorders that are driving it, right? So when you're insulin resistant, that high insulin output ends up driving ferritin production. Uh, so, you know, the big thing is, is identify, well, where am I at? You know, what, what's going on with me? Is it stress? Because I, I, I find more times than not, um, stress response is typically a component, maybe not always the, I always look at cause and consequence, mm -hmm. right? So when I'm looking at labs, I'm looking at, well, is there a cause? Then what's the consequence? And so, you know, when I look at ferritin, it's like, well, that may not be the cause of this individual's problem. Oh yeah, they're, they're, they're feeling windy going up steps. So low ferritin doesn't help that. You need ferritin to make thyroid hormone bind to your thyroid hormone receptor. Hmm. So it's, it's like you can give people all the thyroid you want, but if their ferritin pulls low, chances are they're not going to get the advantage of it. Yeah. So, so it's important to understand, okay, let me identify where, where am I taking an inventory related to what type of things? Good example go ketogenic, do a carnivore diet, right? Well, depending on your uh, genotype, just eating ketogenic could be triggering metaflammation. Hmm. Yeah. So it could be a diet change you need to make. So that those are the things you need to think about. Yeah. And it's, it's complex. It's, uh, and it's something that I think for the average person, like I know even for myself listening to this, I understand 99% of it. And I'm still like, it's a lot of work to do. All <laughs> right. Like that's, it's, it's, fu it's funny, but it's like, you know, even as a strength coach, as a personal trainer, and I'm in the health and fitness industry and I'm thinking, man, I need some really, really simple things that I can do. So well, what are the easiest? Yeah. So that's my question. You picked what, the hardest. You, you started with the hardest question. Yeah. It's a tough one, but it's an important one. And we're tracking it on people. Look on the end, like for example, cortisol to testosterone ratios, mm -hmm. you know, right? When people's stress get high, they turn off their sex hormones. So if your sex drive is going down and you're training a lot and you're wondering why, and I see this happen all the time, it's because you're turning off your sex hormones. Mm -hmm. So how do you manage that? Well, you manage stress in a lot of different ways, right? You can do deep breathing. You can try to incorporate things like, you know, yoga or Pilates or Tai Chi, whatever you want to do. You could just decide not to train quite as much. You could decide to get in uh, therapy because you're in a bad relationship. Or, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why that stress is high. Uh, and so there's simple things. Or you could take a compound like Relora. R-E-L-O-R-A, great compound for lowering cortisol and making people feel calm. Um, so you could take a supplement, you could take action on if it's psychosocial, you could take action on how much you're training and that could help to restore that balance between you know, cortisol's influence on your testosterone. Mm -hmm. Red blood cell magnesium, really easy. If you're low, I dose people who are training 10 milligrams per kilogram. And I like them to use glycinate because it doesn't ups upset their stomach. If you're not training, I typically dose it at seven and a half milligrams per kilogram. And people feel that. That's like a simple thing you can do, right? Be, you know, hey, I'm going to take more magnesium. Uh, yeah. Because I can tell you that the majority of people, I rarely have somebody come across my desk that's training that has adequate magnesium stores. Nobody's eating 10 servings servings of green leafy vegetables a day you know they're not they're not eating four to one vegetables to fruit they're you know so they're you know and even if they were the quality of our food 
the mineral density of our food is not what it was 50 years ago, yeah. even if it's organic. So these are, you know, these are some of the simple things that you can do. You know, your, your vitamin D is low, take some vitamin D. Cause guess what? If you're in Toronto in the winter, you know, unless you're, unless you're under a artificial light all day long, that's it, uh, putting out, you know, the correct sun rays, you're not getting it. Yeah. So when it comes to timing of specifically magnesium, right? Uh, is it, is there a specific time when you should take and it should it be all of it all at once? Should it be separated? Because I know, as you said, like magnesium has a habit of causing a little bit of irritable bowel ish, like bowel issues, right? Um, you mentioned to use uh, glyconate because it has a lesser probability to cause any of those issues. So if you are taking a, a large amount of it, so 10 milligrams per kilo, for somebody who's training, is that all at once? Is it separated, you know, morning, like with meals, like when should they be taking that? Great question. So first of all, there's the, 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 what I call the bro science is you take magnesium at bedtime. I, I don't know why that's perpetuated. Yes, it's true. By taking magnesium, you calm down and you have a better night's sleep. But if you're going to dose magnesium, you would dose it throughout the course of the day. So mm. typically, uh, I'm basically 95 kilos. I take six 150 milligram elemental mag magnesium, meaning the, the capsule is going to save 500 milligrams, but the amount of magnesium, the elemental magnesium in that capsule is 150. Hmm. So I take, and I tolerate it well, three capsules twice a day of magnesium, and that's 450 milligrams basically of elemental magnesium twice a day. Hmm. And so, so, and, and I don't get a loose stool. Now someone else might. And so they'd have to go down, take a little less because you don't want to get a loose stool. That's the only side effect you really get from mag, but you can, you, you can take it two or three times a day. And most, most people that I, I mean, I've been dosing magnesium. I mean, my gosh, it's 38 years. I don't, I don't uh, have a lot of people that have problems when you spread it out through the day use glycinate, don't use citrate. If you use citrate, you're probably going to get a loose stool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And uh, so I wanted to touch on one more thing, because I know we're coming up to the end of uh, this, this hour, but I, you mentioned something at the very beginning that I think for a lot of people is a huge frustration for them when they're training. And it actually goes back to, I think it was like the second or third question that I asked. And you mentioned the the common situation where somebody is training so hard and specifically somebody looking for a body composition change, looking to drop body fat, and they're training so hard trying to do this, and they're either remaining the same, like, so there's no change, or they're actually increasing body fat stores. And so you're talking about the role that some of these uh, you know, different uh, inflammatory markers might have on that situation because you're creating so much inflammation that it's actually blocking it. Can you actually walk through a little bit of the mechanism of that? Like, how does that actually work? Oh, sure. Yeah. Great question. So, so when you train hard and, and let's just say borderline overtrain, right? Cause if you're, you're training really hard to get body comp changes, man, you're after it every day. Uh, you elevate your cortisol, 
And if you, first of all, if you don't recover, your body stays in that unrecovered state, right? And then you go to train again. And so the inflammatory compounds called cytokines. So one of the byproducts of exercise is that you make interleukin-6. And everybody goes, oh, you shouldn't villainize interleukin-6 because it stimulates satellite cells, which then causes you know, muscle recruitment. That's true, but interleukin-6 is supposed to turn off. Like mm -hmm. you're supposed to get a spike in it and then it go away. And so if you overtrain and you start to create these inflammatory compounds, and maybe it's coupled with the fact that you've got some unknown food intolerances, who knows? But the bottom line is, is you make a lot of that IL-6. IL-6 basically turns off your insulin receptor. So the insulin receptor is supposed to take and get turned on and then it opens up and it catches the insulin that is being released. And then that insulin uh, receptor now says, come on in glucose, we're gonna burn you and make 38 packets of energy. When your cytokines go up, your insulin receptor gets sluggish because it, it tells the insulin receptor, no, 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 don't open up. We need to keep that blood sugar in your bloodstream because there is a threat. Hmm. And so the receptor doesn't open up and you get passive diffusion of glucose into your bloodstream, into your, into your cell. And that's called GLUT1 transport. And then you only make two packets of energy. So you make 19 times less energy when you create this chemistry. The other piece is, is that you stimulate with elevated insulin and cortisol, the storage of fat and triglycerides. So they have a direct impact on that. So you literally trigger fat storage um, through uh, upregulation of like angiotensinogen and other compounds that get pushed out into your body when these cytokines get turned on. Mm -hmm. So it literally, the, 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 the why do all diabetics, all type two diabetics are heavy for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. Why? Because their insulin receptors don't work well. They store fat really good, not just in their visceral fat, but they store it in their muscle. Yeah. All right. And so what it really happens is, is inflammation triggers inefficiencies in glucose. The cortisol triggers inefficiencies in glucose via immune system signaling and that triggers a whole cascade of cellular signaling that leads to loss of lean mass. Not only that, why aren't I gaining lean mass? Cortisol causes breakdown of muscle. Yeah. All right. So that's how it happens. Yeah. And I, and then that's then probably why a lot of those people then start to crave, as you were saying, those starches and those sugars, because the body's not burning the fat, they're burning the sugar, then craves that because it's realizing that's low and then you get that input and you get that cycle. And, well, you know what? Think about it. How many times have you told somebody, hey, just eat less carbs and you know, you're gonna lose weight if you eat less carbs? And they will, but their problem is, is that because they're gas sucking SUVs at the cellular level, yeah, they, they, they leave you, they're in love with you, you've motivated them, they're at the top of the mountain saying, I finally found someone that understands me. And then they get home and their energy drops and they say, hey man, where's the Coke at? I need a Coca-Cola. I gotta have something to drink, it's got sugar in it because I'm crashing. Yeah. 
And that's all driven by cellular mechanics. Hmm. That's what's going on. The complexities of the body, eh? Yeah. Um, all right. So I don't want to have to ask another question because I feel as though we'll just end up going over time seeing as there's only about four minutes left. So uh, what I'm going to do is I just want to give our audience, I am going to have you back on hundred um, oh, percent within great. the next few weeks. I'm going to see whatever you're like, I know you're oh, busy. Right. You got no, a crazy it. schedule, but, but we'll, we'll get you in. Um, but I do yep. want to just ask, because I know you do have a lot of different products. You've written a lot of books. Um, you've been involved in a lot of the, uh, or the development of a lot of different products. So do you just want to give the audience a little bit of a rundown of where they can find more information about you and what you do, and then some of the products that you have? Sure. So, um, uh, jimlaval.com, you can find out about me. If you, if they're interested in kind of, uh, the algorithms and how you look at blood, they can go to metaboliccode.com. I've got a lot of information up there. jimlaval.com has got information up there. Uh, Product-wise, the Metabolic Elite Performance. I mean, I've formulated for a lot of different companies. Helped to develop Thorne's initial sport line when they were doing it with Exos. Was instrumental in the in that, and I've designed a lot of products. And now I designed a, a products, uh, you know, Metabolic Elite Performance, and uh, so adaptogens that help you maintain your resiliency and improve your stamina. Um, I've created a product called Tea Time, which is phenomenal for. It. Here's the deal. A lot of times, the industry is an industry of better sameness. So what, right? Hey, I've got this. You've got that. I've got a little more of this. You got a little more of that. Yeah. All I do uh, is I look for the ingredients that were clinically tested in human studies, find that ingredient, make sure that it's pure. We we actually have all the third-party testings that you can scan on the bottle, and it puts a complete dossier up of the purity of it. Mm -hmm. Nobody's doing that. Because <laughs> uh, we want to make sure that people understand what they're getting, uh, and then we put together all of our all of our products. And and look, I design for other companies. I I talk about other products from other companies. I'm not like saying, oh, we're the only people that make a good product. But I will say that we when we design a product, it hits hard because every ingredient's in clinically relevant doses. There's no spritzing. Mm -hmm. There's no fairy dusting. It's if it doesn't have a clinically relevant dose, it's not going in the formula and we're not going to make some goofy claims over having this little micron amount of something. Yeah. We have two, one product that's really interesting and I know we're closing up here, but we've got this product out of Germany that is a curcumin extract that you spray orally and it has better bioavailability than IV curcumin. <laughs> and it's got 20 times the bioavailability of any oral curcumin on the market. So we just, are bringing that in and it's a drug in Germany, actually, they've got studies and pharmacokinetics and everything on it. So I'd say that I bring my clinical pharmacy hat to when I'm designing things. Yeah. And I think that's what makes a difference. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, I'm sure I will, as well as some of those will definitely hop and hop on the website and check out some of those, because, um, I know even when I was talking with Mike, we were talking about adaptogens as well and some of those different things. So, and he always obviously pointed me towards the stuff that you do because that is what you do and you're the That's best right. at it. So I just wanted to thank you, uh, just for joining me today. And as I said, I'm really looking forward to having you on and having another conversation. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And we'll get that set up really soon, man. I enjoyed it. State of the Industry Podcast.
I'll be back. <laughs>